Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Everyday Theology Podcast, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday believers. I'm Dustin Walters, and I am joined today by three co-hosts. I'm so glad to have all four contributors on the podcast today. You guys, uh, this is a rare occasion. It's one that we uh, look forward to, hopefully our listeners do as well. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks. The stars have aligned. <laughs> That's mighty generous of you to refer to us as stars, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Well, you're glowing today, so thank you. <laughs> it's just the it's just the light above his head and his his office there yeah, at the church. Yeah. So. That's right. Well, today we continue our conversation on the Free Will Baptist Catechism, and today we're actually looking at question number six. Uh, I'm going to ask. Um, if one of you guys will be willing to read question six and the answer for our listeners today. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. Um, the question is, what is the role of the son? And the answer is the son offers forgiveness and saves people from their <laughs> sins. And he also serves as judge over mankind. So as we piece this thing apart, um, the two aspects that I, I think would be very helpful for our listeners to reflect on is um, why forgiveness is needed, what does it mean to be saved, and what is the significance of Christ serving as judge? Because, um, you know, we use words in church, brothers, like saved, forgiveness, justification, words that are very important biblically, but I don't know that people in broader culture would always understand. So, Anybody want to jump in and, and talk about why is it that we need the forgiveness of the son? Well, I'll start off by just saying I forget who I heard say this first. It's a common phrase. But when it comes to, especially to preaching and I guess in reference to the the Christianese, the, the lingo that you referred to a second ago, Dustin, I heard a, a preacher one time say that sometimes you got to get folks lost before you can get them saved. And, and and that's the that's why doctrine really it, everything is included in it. So we, we have to look into this from a a perspective of the need to be saved in the first place. We also, so if there's a need to be saved, then we're in need of a savior. And that's where Jesus steps onto the scene and take th takes things over. Yeah, isn't it, it, that goes right in line with what, you know, Jesus says about himself that, you know, I didn't, I came to, um, to heal the sick. You know, like he, he is the great physician, but ultimately, you know, I'm convinced that he's the great physician of our souls. He's not He's not necessarily the one who promises to heal all of our disease and all of those things, which he can do. But ultimately, his his physicianship and his um, his healing comes through the form of salvation. And um, so there there's so many different elements here. You know, when you talk about forgiveness, um, you know, again, why? Why is it that we need forgiveness? Maybe we can bring in you know, some conversation about depravity and the fact that all of us, like like Isaiah says, have are like sheep that have gone astray. Um, we've turned everyone to his own way. Romans 1 tells us that we 
um, are without excuse to say that there is a God, but but it's because we suppress the truth that we know that we know inherently is true, but but we suppress it. We we kind of force it down to where we don't make it a a priority and we don't believe it. Yeah. And you say uh, there about the priority aspect of it. This connects really um, on a whole biblical foundation of forgiveness. One of the things that comes to my mind is the relationship between God's justice, his holiness, and his forgiveness. And so it wasn't that the God under the old covenant was was not forgiving. We read passages like Psalm 32 that describe the blessedness of being forgiven and encourage our listeners, if you need some encouraging devotional reading, go read Psalm 32 and just reflect on that in light of Christ. Um, So forgiveness is built on a whole foundation that really flows from the nature of God. And since all three persons of the Trinity have the same characteristics, um, what is true of the Father is also true of the Son, is that he offers forgiveness. Well, and I think that points to the forgiveness that Jesus offers points to the divine nature of the Son as well. One of the one of the great things about the catechism that I appreciate is it it lists off scripture references. Forgiveness aspect of Jesus is one of the important things here because it, it reminds us of the divinity of Jesus as well as his his ability to forgive sins is is what got him. Uh, I'm using air quotes here into trouble because he he says in Matthew chapter nine he says take heart my son your sins are forgiven and the verses that follow are accusations by the scribes of of blasphemy because within his claim to be able to forgive sins and he's not just claiming to to do it he's doing it actively and, and that's what got him into so much trouble and and ultimately was the i think the the reason why he was crucified is because people people really that struck a chord with with people i think too i think it's very helpful not to just um and i'm not knocking the catechism or anything but i think it's also helpful to to refer back to the old testament um my mind dustin when you when you started speaking about psalm 32 i thought you were going to say psalm 103 uh bless the lord oh my soul and bless his holy name and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord on my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles you know it's it it's it's the psalmist who is exclaiming before a new covenant is ever introduced that we have, there are benefits for being in intimate union with the Lord Jesus. The aspect of forgiveness that you're bringing out from the Old Testament is so important. Um, and, and even connecting back to what we said earlier about justice and holiness, it is not just for God to just forgive outside of a relationship with himself there isn't a universal pronouncement over the whole creation there is a forgiveness that's extended to the people of god 
And I think even a patience with God, um, we, we see that indicated when, you know, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed. Yeah. Nineveh. Yeah, Nineveh, Jonah. Yeah. And, and God promises to spare his people. Um, so there's forgiveness in that. Yeah. Um, even David, look at King David. We refer to David now as a man after God's own heart. And yet we know the travesty of the sin that, that he got himself entangled in, his confession in Psalm 51, the confrontation from Nathan the prophet, which, by the way, uh, I appreciate Nathan's courage. That's, a, that's another topic for another time. But we think about forgiveness. It sounds like a really nice idea. But through Jesus, the incarnate son, it actually gets fleshed out in the real world. Um, it's not just a theoretical forgiveness. Um, it is a forgiveness that takes on human flesh. You know, I, I really think, though, that there is an important aspect to uh, the forgiveness of the son that, that does sort of get overlooked in the reality that, um, that there is forgiveness. You know, sin, sin brings a guilty conscience. And, and sin, you, you know, I know... I would love to believe for myself that I am, you know, a good person and all that, but I know deep down that I'm a wretch and that I'm a depraved human being and I need forgiveness. And this is a glorious reminder that we have forgiveness um, in the sun. You know, if we, um, if we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I'll say one more thing along the lines of the depravity of man. I recently heard someone critiquing, and I'm kind of chuckling at this because it was a ridiculous claim, but someone just more so trying to do away with the idea that that mankind is depraved, that all human beings are born with a sin nature. I, and I just look at the world. If you just take even take the Bible out of it for a moment, I'm not entirely sure how someone could make that claim that human beings are. Not, if anyone has ever interacted with a like a toddler, like th that is a no one had to teach those toddlers to sin. They're really good at it from the the beginning, and so so it just baffles me. But that's why there's a need. You know, I, I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now. Uh, why would Jesus say that you are the, the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, if the the world and the earth are not in need of those things? And therefore, forgiveness is necessary because there there is a holy God who is sinned against on a daily basis by every individual that's ever lived. So, of course, there is need for forgiveness, and and Jesus fills that void. Well, and the forgiveness that you're talking about, Matt, and the way in which he does fill that void, really, it's almost indescribable in some ways, the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I just love, though, that it, it, as you guys are saying, it's not an arbitrary thing. Um, you know, sometimes in our culture, people you were talking about get the wrong idea of forgiveness, a misguided perspective, because it's a forgiveness that isn't tethered to the, the triune God who's revealed himself in the scriptures. And that is a foreign forgiveness. Um, 
So, for example, uh, a situation where let's say there's a person in your congregation who is being physically abused. You're not going to say to them, if you're wise, that forgiveness means that they should just put up with it and just keep living with this person who's abusing them. That's not biblical. Um, there's a whole can of worms that we can open up in that. But let's forgive- say we did. <laughs> Forgiveness is is rooted in the personal work of Jesus. Well, and it, it is interesting too that that forgiveness is not just the only aspect of it, but forgiveness does actually lead to something. And you know that's sort of the second part of this first sentence of the answer is that it's not just that Christ forgives, but that through His forgiveness and through His substitutionary death and satisfactory death of the wrath of God, we're saved. Your sins are forgiven. The the verse that Matt read earlier from Matthew chapter 9 is is the reality that when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it means you're now in right standing with God Almighty. And that right standing is is something that it's, it's an amazing concept to think about that we could stand before his his presence and not be consumed because of our sin. I'm reminded of what Isaiah the prophet said, you know, woe is me for, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. By the way, there's a great bit of uh, example and pastoral confession that comes from Isaiah, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, the forgiveness that he offers is rooted in who he is. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. So let's talk about then the second part of that question that who is the, what is the role of the son? Um, Ben, you pointed to this. The role of the son is that he serves as judge over mankind and the scripture that the catechism lists is John five and verse 22, which says reading from the Christian standard Bible, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And welcome back to our Trinity conversation, where, <laughs> where we talk about the roles of the one God in three persons. Isn't it true, though, that that while there are different roles, um, like it, it is comforting to know that like those roles are not bifurcated between the persons. Like they all serve in that same role or, or they, they all serve in the same will and the same essence, but yet hold different roles to, to what they do and how they act in the economy of redemption. You mean to tell me that conversations on the Trinity impact everything? We can't just put them in a box bin and talk about the Trinity and then dust off the shelf once a year and talk about, you know, we, we have to talk about the Trinity with all theology. I mean, if you want to read into it like that, yeah, sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm being unkind. <laughs> you know, go, going back and I know that, uh, you know, Christ and his miracles and, uh, and what he came to do in his person came to forgive sins, but those miracles uh, that he came when he came to heal as the healer, uh, wasn't necessarily meant just to uh, just to heal them, you know, outright, and then nothing else happens. But it was to show the Jews that essentially the Messiah was here. And I think it points to us as Christians. And you got like 
uh, folks, and I'm not going to name any that are saying we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Um, but the Old Testament points to Christ and uh, kind of helps us uh, to see that uh, Jesus is the true Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. And uh, he's come on the scene. He did the miracles and uh, he presented the son, presented um, everything that was spoken about him in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, there's there's one will among the, the three persons of the Trinity. Um, we um, uh, we definitely uh, need to consider that. Um, I think Matthew Barrett's got a fine book on, uh, you know, the the cultural or the drift, Trinity drift. And uh, he talks about going back um, to the basics of the Trinity, which we really need to be doing. Um, and so, that yes, it does come in discussion quite a bit. Uh, but in relation to forgiveness, you know, it was the son. Uh, I know that we say that uh, the father was kind of the grand architect. He's the one that was the master planner behind salvation. And then it was the son who came and executed that plan. And the Holy Spirit gave uh, Christ the power to fulfill that, um, especially in his life. You know, his uh, his active obedience and then his passive obedience on the cross uh, where he actually died for our sins. Um, and so many times we we kind of forget as well that, you know, Jesus's death and we emphasize his death more so than his life. But it's actually both. You know, it, it's definitely his his life that uh, he lived for us that we could not live. And he fulfilled the law. That's why Paul says we we don't abolish the law. We we uphold it or we establish it. Well, I, I think it's interesting, Matt, that you bring up, you know, Matthew Barrett. One of the things that's interesting, and there's a couple of things that I was actually thinking of. One, I think it's really interesting that the active obedience of Christ is his life, not his death. Absolutely, right? yeah. Right, so so it's it's interesting that the, like, you would think, naturally, we want to think that the active obedience is his, is his death, is his, is it the sacrifice, but it's not. The active obedience is his fulfilling of the law. Um, you, you kind of said the same thing that I, I, how I try to, you know, like present the gospel to like the people at our churches. I say that Christ lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death we should have died. Mm, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and just knowing that, that we can't only live a, the perfect life, but we also can't pay for the life we should have lived. And that's only central in Christ. Um, but, you know, going back to the Trinity, especially with uh, with Matthew Barrett, I, I love his book, Simply Trinity. Yeah, um, that's good. And one of the things that's important when we talk about the Trinity and how the Trinity operates as one God and three persons in the world is I, I um, have heard this from so many people. But basically anything that God does, he does of the Father, through the Son and by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important that when we pray, we don't pray in your name. We pray in Jesus name and we pray by the power of the spirit. That's why when we talk about salvation, we're talking about salvation for God. So loved the world. He gave his only son. And Christ says, I'm as I go to prepare a place for you, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourselves, but I'm going to send a comforter and I'm going to send a helper. And I'm going to send the one who's going to be your conscience and your guide because salvation is also of the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. And uh, it's important, uh, Barrett talks about this in his book, to understand that um, 
that God's um, activity in creation does not define who he is. It shows us who he is. God is not defined by how, what he does. He's defined by who he is. Yeah, and, you know, just thinking about how that is connected to his role as judge, um, that's not really the picture of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, that people people in our culture have a certain view of Christ. And sometimes when, when preaching, I think it's helpful to use the phrase, Jesus of the New Testament. And the reason for that is because the Jesus of Mormonism is quite different than the Jesus of the Gospels. And when we think about Jesus acting as judge, that's an aspect, uh, brothers, that must come into our preaching without reverting into a sort of mean-spirited kind of preaching yeah um, we're but, not gnostics but, right we're not right. gnostics yeah but we we have to point to the whole counsel of god that christ will return to judge the living and the dead and those who are written in the lamb's book of life will be granted to be in eternity with the triune god and with believers from the ages past but those whose names are not written in the lamb's book of life will not spend eternity there. And so I think in our, I grew up in a generation where there were a lot of sermons, you know, hellfire and brimstone sermons. And we could think about the different approaches of those brothers. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't come, I would never have come to faith in Christ without the faithfulness of those men. And I think in our culture, we're too much to push. And Four Lines knew this. Four Lines was was prophetic in the way he wrote about holiness and love in his quest because i think now everybody has a picture of jesus that honestly as as men it it doesn't portray a picture of him that uh is biblical it, it doesn't match i mean you've got a, a a jesus who you know you've seen paintings and portraits of the second person of this and Sometimes it, it is portrayed as if he were a weakling, and that couldn't be further from the truth. He is the judge of the living and the dead, and the Apostle Paul says that we must take every thought captive to obey Christ, because we know that all will stand before the judgment throne one day. And by the way, this is not a popular. <laughs> if you preach a sermon on judgment, it will not be popular, because they're going to say, Pastor, uh, we just need to be more loving. You know, we just need to be more loving, but we can't. That love is tethered to his work of Christ as judge. Well, it isn't, it's so interesting that you bring this up, Dustin. I, I heard Vody Bauckham say um, one time in, in his preaching through Revelation, he was like, you know, so many people say they like the God of the Old Testament, but they really don't like or, or no, they don't like the God of the Old Testament, but they really like the Jesus of the New Testament. He's like, well, we'll read all the way through the New Testament, and you really won't like him either. <laughs> because, because Revelation is all about how Christ is coming back, not as the lowly baby in a manger, but as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and as judge. Um, and and that, that does bring us, <clears throat> I know Matt Mauser's been dying to talk about this, but it but it does bring us to 
the reality of what it means to be found in Christ and what it means to be found um, in him through his substitutionary death on the cross. Yeah, one of the things that I think I've mentioned it before, but I preached through the catechism during 2022 and not to take away from, I think this is kind of included in what Dr. Harrison initially added or initially made a part of this question specifically, but I added a specific point regarding the atonement. And there are a couple of passages of scripture that I want to share on this because the the idea of atonement, and we've kind of been dancing around a little bit with it when, when we talk about forgiveness, when we talk about Jesus Christ as judge, and one of the the fascinating things is he is uh, he is both the judge and the justifier. Uh, he serves in both of those roles. Um, John one twenty nine, Jesus is coming towards John the Baptist, and he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." That right there, that that tells you that that. His his role was so important when it comes to sin, and I don't know how we could not preach about sin when one of the primary roles of Jesus Christ was to take away the sins of the world. When it comes to atonement, though, we, we have to think about the atoning sacrifice that's found in the Old Testament. Uh, no one likes, no one loves, I'll say that. People like the book of Leviticus. No one loves the book of Leviticus, but Leviticus chapter four, uh, I'll apologize to our listeners because I want to read a little bit from Leviticus for you. Uh, Leviticus four, beginning in verse 32, if he brings a lamb as his offering for a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for a sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of its blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. That right there gives us everything that we need in terms of understanding that Jesus, as he he has already, uh, he has paid the debt. You know, Ben, you referenced earlier. just that idea of of Jesus doing a work that we can't do reminded me of an old camp song, and I'll I'll spare our listeners from me singing it, but it simply says, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. I, 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 won't, I won't quote you the rest of it, but even in that simple uh, little camp chorus, there is a an important piece of doctrine that's explained for us, the fact that Jesus Christ as the great high priest uh, atoned for our sins on the cross, uh, offering himself uh, as a substitutionary uh, sacrifice. 
Yeah, you mentioned Leviticus, Matt. It's actually interesting. Um, I think it might have been during COVID in 2020. Um, I, that This is going to be so unconventional, but I, my Easter sermon was actually from Leviticus 17. Hmm. Um, and specifically chapter or chapter 17, verse, sorry, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. If that is not a picture of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I don't know what is. That is a foreshadowing picture of a sovereign God who has created an institution of sacrificial, um, of the sacrificial system to, to, to show us that there is a better and more ultimate sacrifice coming in the person of Jesus Christ. You mentioned John 1 29. I think of first John two brothers. Um, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, but not just our sins, the sins of the entire world. And that role of the Son there in that verse actually foreshadows to the role of the Spirit, you know, serving as our parakletos, our helper. Yes. And thank God, thank God that that, that he as, as Trinity um, isn't an abstract concept, but he's a person. And I, I think... Most particularly revealed through the sun. Uh, I just wanted to interject. You know, I'm sure most of you guys have read um, uh, Orland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, that book has uh, has really, you know, you many people think it's all about, you know, God's love, and people have misunderstood that probably who haven't read it. But uh, Orland goes in there and he explains. He has some really. I wish I had my my copy before me right now. Orland talks about you know the infinite. Uh, nature of God's love, you know, that we see primarily in Christ, but also in his judgment, uh, in Christ's judgment, we see infinite holiness and infinite justice and uh, things that uh, that we that we forget about. And uh, people, you know, they want to gravitate toward a a Jesus who is more of love than he is of judgment. And we got this this balance that is not there. I wish I had the book before me. I could quote. There was some really good quotes that Orland had in there. You know, about because he, he has to constantly keep revisiting the fact uh, throughout that book just to, I think, probably, you know, editors probably said you probably need to add this in there. Um, your, you know, your views on Jesus Christ as judge, uh, because people are going to look at this in a one sided, lopsided kind of way. But it's a good balance, really. It's a good balance treatment. We've been going through that at the church. Um, some church members have liked it. Some have not. The majority has. Um but it's it's definitely uh, there's some good quotes in there about God's judgment and His God God's love that we see in Christ, and um, uh, Christ is coming back uh, to judge the world of of um, of unrighteousness, and every every knee will bow, every tongue will mm. confess He is Lord, and so it's not just believers that will do that; it's unbelievers as well. And um, you know, at at the time that we have. Uh, in this age of grace, we must proclaim that gospel message as simple and as ri- as ridiculous to the world as it is. Um, it's even more important today. You know, something a thought that keeps running through my mind when we first started this, and I think we opened it up. Um, 
I had, and I was shocked, by the way. Uh, you know, as pastors, I think we assume that many people in our congregation, even those that have been attending for a, a while, for a while, you know, over you know a couple of years or so, uh, would have a would would know when we say the word saved or salvation. And uh, you would think that they understand what we're talking about. But I had a, I had a young man um, in his uh, late 20s come up to me and he told me, he said he did not know what it what are you talking about when it when you're talking about being saved? And I was like, I was blown back by that. I was like, really? So I think that we miss kind of uh, as pastors, we miss that that opportunity um, to to, you know, put definitions with some of our words that we use. And I know usually we'll put a definition with the word justification, sanctification, um, you know, even uh, atonement, things like that. We'll define it, but being saved, um, people just don't know nowadays what that really means. And uh, they don't know what it means to be saved. And uh, they don't realize that Christ, it, salvation is Christocentric. And uh, we is a, is a free gift, and we just reach out and take that by faith. And it's, you know, it's uh, by faith that we that we have acquired that free gift of salvation. And uh, it's by faith that we remain in Christ. And uh, that Christ's ju- uh, righteousness is imputed to us. You know, Matt, it's interesting you say that because we're we're actually going through gentle and lowly at our church as well. We're doing it in our in our small groups. And um, one of the things that's interesting to me about Ortland's perspective on this, um, I love the two chapters back to back that talk about Christ's intercessory role and his advocacy role. Yes. Um, Because that that I think is what is so missed about what it means to be a Christian. Um, because we automatically think we we're just human. That's just what happens. But our natural inclination is to think, okay, I've messed up today. So I've got to fix it now or fix it tomorrow, or I've got to like make a list to do better. But but Ortland is so so sad, his his writing is so saturated with the gospel that he helps, and he helped me to understand um that. Christ's intercessory role is his role to the Father, looking at me, a wretched sinner, saved by grace, but a wretched sinner, and saying, listen, he is covered by my blood. My righteousness is his righteousness. His sins are paid for, and uh, Christ is constantly on his knees before the Father interceding on my behalf when I'm sinning right royally and then he's not only he's not only our intercessor but he's our advocate that he is the one who is the middle party between he's our representative he's the one representing us before God saying listen this child is mine and he is counted righteous not because of his deeds but because of my righteous life job anyway, Job said in the Old Testament, oh, that there were an arbiter to stand between me mm. and God. Mm. Yeah, I love that verse. Yeah. And and just a word on the gentle and lowly. Um, you know, in Christian circles, there's these in-house debates sometimes about Christians that like this book, or Christians that don't like this book, and it goes back and forth. But doesn't it say something about the truth value of the wide 
impact of that book. I mean, certainly there were churches that, you know, gave away copies or, you know, partnerships with Crossway or whatever. Praise God for that. But there's still a reason why the book is so popular, and it's because it helps people. <laughs> and pastorally, we we have to be mindful of that. But that's well, a sidebar. Well, I, I think I think it's so appropriate to kind of conclude this episode with with some comfort. Um, another another great um, sort of gospel centered herald in our lifetime is Jared Wilson. Um, and man, his book called The Pastor's Justification just absolutely rocked my world when I read it. Um, because his main message on this is, is that, you know what, pastor, you're not perfect and you're not righteous in and of yourself, but you can lay your head on your pillow at night justified before God because of the righteousness of his son, Jesus. You can head into the hard board meetings. You can deal with the difficult members. You can have clammy days and you can lay an egg in the pulpit, but you can lay your head down every night justified before God Almighty because of the person and work of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that 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 is the that is the beauty and comfort of the Christian faith. That though the son offers forgiveness and saves us. And though we have this ultimate fear that we are going to be judged at the end of time, we don't have to fear because being found in him means that we have no fear of what is to come in eternity. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Well, dear listeners, we are so thankful uh, for your patience with us for your support and we hope that you've enjoyed our reflections today on free will baptist catechism question number six we are so excited that we have the opportunity that god has given us to serve we pray that these truths continue to reach you for your good and for god's glory